This is lead minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next be with you. Thank you for those of you who are joining us in person and joining us online today. I am pumped to be with you. We are starting this brand new series called Tell a Good Story. And I'm really excited about it. And here's the reason why. Because here's what happened. Last week was Easter and many of you were here. And it was awesome. And the worship was rocking. It was just a fire service. It was, it was awesome. And many of you, you came up here and did the cross up here and you remembered and you rushed. And it was a, an emotional moment. And then we went home and we talked about it and we like, yeah, that was awesome. And then what happens? Monday comes. It's what we call in the, the church world the, the week of the beautiful letdown. That, that we celebrate all these things on Easter and then Monday comes. And then, and then next week comes and it's just like another Sunday. But it's just not another Sunday. It's just not another day. That the, the amazing thing is that when Monday happened, the tomb was still, the tomb was still empty. When, when Sunday comes, guess what? The tomb is going to be empty. What, what happens next week? Well, the tomb is still going to be empty. It's going to be empty for every single day of your lives. And what Easter reminds us is that we get to live in the light of the resurrection. That we get to step in this new life that Jesus has called us to. And we're going to say it this way. The ground has been plowed. The ground has been plowed. Now it is time to nurture growth. It's time to step in this new life and change. And step into all Jesus has to offer. And that's what this series is about. Tell a good story. So with that being said, I want to think about this idea for a second. That all of our lives are telling some type of story. And here's what's interesting is that there's part of your story, your life, that's already been written, and that's called the past. There's part of your story that's being written right now, and what is that called? That's called your, your present. And there's part of your story to yet be written. That's your future. And no matter what has happened in the past or what's happening in the present, you have an opportunity to change your future and tell a better story. Now, if you were to look back in your life, there's going to be moments where you wish you could delete, erase, cross out. Then there's going to be moments where you, you want to highlight, you want to bold it, because those moments were good. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, there's going to be celebration, there's going to be pain, there's going to be heartache. But all of our lives are, are telling some type of story. We all have a story, no matter who we are or what we've been through, we all have a story. Now imagine with me, though, that, at the end, that one day you get to sit, you get to sit down, and you get to read your story or watch your story. You need to rewatch it over and over and over again. What do you want your life story to be? What type of person do you want to read about? What, what do you want to be known for? What type of story do you want to tell? What type of person do you want to be as you read through the lives of your past, your future, and your present? And, and, and it's such an important question. What kind of story do you want to tell? And I think, even though I don't know all of you, and we, we don't share many things in common, one thing we do share in common is this. At the end of the day, we all want to be able to tell a good story. We want to be able to tell a good story, right? We, we have this desire in us to, whether you're young or old, to get better, to, to improve. And this desire is in us because we want to tell a better story. 
And to tell a better story, we gotta get better. That means we gotta get better at our finances or our job, we gotta get better at our relationships, we gotta get better, you know, physically in the gym for some of us, we get better at our sports if we're still in high school or college. It's like we wanna be better. And we wanna be better so we can tell a good story. One of my favorite phrases I've ever heard was this phrase, better at 70. I heard from a speaker who was in his 30s, and he's like, listen, I, I don't want to look back on my life and see that my best years were in my 30s or my 40s. I want to be better in my 70s than I am now. And he's like, every single day I want to progress towards progression. I want to make a step towards progression. I want to continue to get better. And that's the desire that many of us have because we want to tell a good story. But what we often miss, miss and what we kind of glance over, what the world won't tell you, is they're going to tell you that your story is all about you, what you can do. But we believe it because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that without Jesus, it's impossible to tell a good story, or a story that matters. So let me stop here and kind of explain to you what I mean by telling a good story. Let, I think that's important. What it means to tell a good story is to tell a story that has an internal impact. It's a story that has an internal impact. It's a story that shows that you forgive people, that you, that you love people, that you show people they matter. It's a story built on the foundation of Jesus. It's a story where you live out Jesus' commands. It's a story where you're building God's kingdom. It's a story where you're, you're investing in generosity here on earth. You're not storing treasures here on earth. You're, you're investing in generosity. You have a lifestyle of generosity. That's what it means to tell a good story. It's a story where Jesus is the main character and you're the supporting role. Because here's what happens. We often think that telling a good story is all about what I do, what I can accomplish, how much success I can have for, how much money I can have. And we forget that without Jesus, none of those things matter. But if we have none of those things and we have Jesus, we can tell a good story. So we have to realize that telling a good story starts with Jesus being the foundation of our lives like we talked about several weeks ago. So that, that leads us to a question. How do I make sure Jesus is writing my story and not me? How do I make sure that Jesus is the, the star and I'm just the supporting role? Well, to answer that question today, we're, we're going to talk about that. To, to answer that question, though, I've got to set the scene for you. And when Jesus was about 30 years old, he started his public ministry. The first thing that we read in the Gospels is that he did was he found John the Baptist. And he gets baptized. And after he gets baptized, he, he heads into the wilderness with Satan for 40 days. And he's tempted. And Satan throws all his tricks at him. But Jesus does not sin. Then Jesus, once those 40 days are up, Jesus walks into the synagogue. And in the synagogue, he goes where they're teaching. And he finds a, a scroll where, where Isaiah is written. And he reads from it. Where, where it talks about a coming Messiah. And what the Messiah is going to look like. And then after he reads it, he, he says this in the Gospel of Luke. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, all the things that Isaiah wrote about, about the coming Messiah is fulfilled in me. I am the Messiah. I am here. And then Jesus goes on, and he starts his public ministry. What we're going to look at today in this account is found in every single gospel, gospel Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in some capacity. But it's one of the first things that Jesus does in his ministry. Let's check it out today in Mark chapter 1. It says this, one day, Jesus, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
He saw Simon, which is Peter, is what his name is, it's later. It's later changed to Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. For, for they fish for a living. They were fishermen, right? Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. And they continued, and it goes a little further up the shore. Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. So Jesus is preaching on this shore, and, and we can gather from the, the, the other Gospels that, that these men, Peter and Andrew and John and James, have all probably heard about Jesus or had an encounter with Jesus before this moment. But they're all fishermen. They're all just living this ordinary life, doing ordinary things as fishermen, telling an ordinary story. And they hear Jesus teaching, and they're doing, you know, they're fishing, and maybe they're cleaning the nets, because that's what they did in the daytime. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, I see you, Andrew, I see you. Why don't you leave what you're doing and follow me? Now, they don't really know what Jesus is calling them to. They know that a crowd is gathering with them. They know that he's unlike anybody they've ever seen before. They said, okay, we don't know what this is all about, but we'll follow you. They start walking down, and as they're walking down the shore, they see John James, probably friends of Peter, and probably knew Peter and his family. And Jesus says, hey, listen, leave your dad and come and follow me. And what do they do? They do the same exact thing. that They leave everything, it says, and they follow Jesus. And I love this. These were ordinary fishermen. These were the first disciples we called ordinary fishermen. Nobody's. Live an ordinary life, whose dad's fish, whose dad's dad's fish. Fishing was in their blood, is who they were, is what they did. There were no lights in that world. Jesus says, Hey, you're not telling a story that really matters. Why don't you step into this new life that I'm calling you to? Then we learn something in this moment. When it comes to writing a good story, there's a start. There's a start for every single one of us. After you hear the, the gospel, after you, you go to church, there's the next step that you have to take. And it's two little words that are so simple. That's what Jesus said to these men. Follow me. Follow me. I, I love that. He says, follow me. Every great story has a beginning. Every movie, trilogy, or movie that has sequels that you love, Star Wars, The Avengers, Fast and the Furious, right? Batman. They all have beginnings, right? They all have a start. Your marriage had a start when you took him on his first date, or she took you on the first date, or, or you know, when, when you first kissed, you, you know, the relationship started. This church has a start. Your career has a start. Every story, good story, has a start. And the same with our faith. There's a start for all of us. It's not what some preacher says. It's not what your parents taught you. It's not when you started going to church. It's not when you started bringing your Bible. It's when you started to follow. And here's what Mark tells us. Following Jesus is our story, starting point. You tell a good story in our, in our lingo today. When you start to follow Jesus. Let's say that again. Following Jesus is the starting point. Not what someone said, not going to church, but following Jesus. You tell a good story, or you start to tell a good story, when you start to follow Jesus. And if follow me is where it starts, then what we, what we have to do today is we have to break this down and look at what it all means. So the first thing we want to look at today is, who does he call to follow? This is what is awesome. 
Jesus gives this invitation to follow to every single type of person. Rich, poor, religious, non-religious, anybody in this room, no matter what your last name is, what your past is, what you've done, Jesus has given you the invitation to follow. When Jesus went around and he picked his disciples, he, he called... He called all 12 of them. We don't have every account. But he gets his disciples. And we see four of them at least are fishermen. One of them, Judas, was the guy who was going to betray him. Later, he called on a man named Matthew, or Levi, who was a tax collector. And everybody hated tax collectors. Even Peter, John, and James, and Andrew would have thought, hey, we're fishermen. We don't hang out with nasty tax collectors. So Jesus called tax collectors. And these 12 men, at times they were arrogant, Arguing about who was the best. They messed up many, many times. But Jesus said, hey, listen. Follow me. I'm inviting you into something new. I'm inviting you to start telling a good story. This invitation to follow is an invitation to all type of people. It's open to everyone. Now don't miss this because I, I think in church we miss this. Because we, we, we say come as you are, but we don't mean that. We say we mean come as you want, as we want you to be. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's like, you can start today following me. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, uh, Simon Peter, do you know the 603 commandments of, uh, or laws that Jew, the Jews keep? And how do you keep them? No, he says, follow me. He doesn't say, hey, uh, James and Andrew and, and Peter and, and John. I'm going to come back in a couple months. Right now, your life is a kind of a mess. But I'm going to come back in a couple months. Maybe it will be a better, better husband, a better father, a better person. I'm going to come back. And then maybe you can follow me. No, he doesn't say that. He says, hey, listen, follow me. Just follow me. Today, he says, he doesn't tell people, hey, you know, start following me when you get your life together. Start following me when you're not so lustful. Start following me when you stop when you stop looking at pornography. Stop start following me when your marriage is fixed. Start following me once you get it all together. Start following me once you go to church three times a month. He's like, no, listen. Wherever you are, wherever you're at, follow me. Wherever you're at. Don't listen to what church just said. Don't, don't worry about what you dress. Don't worry about what your past looks like. Don't worry about your last name. Don't worry about what you're going through. He's like, today you can start by following me. And this was so different. This was so different than anything these men had ever encountered with religious people. See, there were religious people that we call Pharisees and Sadducees and, and there the religious teachers. And they, they, had, they wanted people to follow them too. But here's what they did. He said, once you get your life together, follow me. Once you get rid of the, the, when you start acting our way, follow me. Once you keep all our commands, follow me. Pharisees were all about this. Change, and you can join us. That's what we can't be about. Now, for too many years, the truth is, the church has been about this. It's not change, and you can join us. Listen to what Jesus was about. Follow me, and you will change. We want to be a church where we say, hey, listen, come with us. We're all broken. We're all sinners. Help follow Jesus with us, and you will change. I, I love that. Every person is invited to follow Jesus. Every person is open to change through Jesus. 
Now, I want to make sure that when we talk about following me, that there's two things that we really talk about real quickly. And the first one is, being a sinner does not disqualify you. It's a prerequisite. Every person who ever followed Jesus in the history of mankind has been a sinner. Every single person that Jesus ever called to follow him has been a sinner. Matter of fact, in his life, the people who were most resistant to follow Jesus were the people who thought they were sinners. So if you, if you come here and you're like, hey, my life is too messy, my past is too messy, I've done too many things, that does not disqualify you. It's a prerequisite to following Jesus. And the second thing is this, and this is awesome, it's that follow me is it's the invitation to relationship. Follow me by nature, it's, it's a relational work. Jesus is saying, hey, don't follow the Ten Commandments. Don't follow some book. Don't follow some church or some preachers. No, no, Listen, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. It's a relational term. He's like, follow me. And he's giving us an invitation. And throughout the Gospels, we see this over and over. That it's an invitation to a relationship with him. And I like to say it this way. It's an invitation into a relationship with Jesus. And in return, into a relationship with God. Because Jesus is how you get to the Father. If you want a relationship with God, God sent Jesus to be the mediator between us and die on the cross so we can have a relationship with God. And I, I believe this to be true in all my life, that, that once you start having a relationship, once you accept this invitation to follow Jesus, you will start changing in your life. You will see change. You will see where your story starts over, where you, you start to tell a good story because you're following Jesus. And I love how Peter, how Paul puts it in one of his letters. And he puts it kind of weird. And we're going to really focus right here. It says, God's kindness is not intended, it, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Here's what Pete, Paul's saying. He's kind of confusing. He's saying, listen, as you grow in relationship with God, as you follow Jesus and do what he told you to do, as you get to really know Jesus and grow a relationship with him, it's not going to be the threat of hell. It's not going to be the threat of making, you know, we want to make your parents proud. It's not going to be the threat uh, that you're scared of anything that's going to lead you to repent. And what is repentance? Repentance in the Greek is this word metatone, and it means to change your mind. Paul says it's not going to be those things that make you change your mind. It's going to be that you start to learn who God is. And in return, you're going to repent, which literally means change directions. You're going to change your direction from sin to, to the life that Jesus called you to. You're going to repent and be sad and turn away from the old way of living. Why? Because you started to follow Jesus and you had a relationship with him. Paul is very clear. It's the more you know God, it is going to lead you to repent and turn the more you know Jesus is going to cause you to repent and change from your old way of life. And now I get it. People are here like, hey, I've been going to church for a long time. It's gotta be it's gotta be harder than just following Jesus. Following is too simple, Nathan. Like, like there's gotta be more, and you're absolutely right. It's not just saying follow Jesus with your word, with your mouth. There's gonna be action to it, but Jesus is telling these people to then he's telling us today, wherever you're at, like, listen, the first step I want you to take to tell a good story, to live the life I want you to live, is to follow me. 
And then, and then I imagine he, he says a little warning when he, when he says it. And he says, but, but I warn you, if you, if you follow me long enough and do what I am teaching and show in one day, you will look in the mirror and not recognize who you see. You will see you have changed into something new. You, you, you spend time with me long enough, you hang out with me long enough, you're going to change. Not because you go to church, not because you sing worship songs, not because you, you keep a list of rules, because you have a relationship with me. You can't be with me and not change. He says, so I warn you, if you start following me, you do what I actually tell you to do, you're going to change. Your story is going to change. So with that understanding of who he calls to follow, we, we all have to ask ourselves, no matter if we've been in church a long time or not, am I following? Am I following Jesus? Not, not do I go to church? Not was I at church on Easter? Not do I read my Bible? But am I actually following Jesus? Now to answer that question, maybe you need to figure out let me help you for a second. What it means to actually follow. So well, let's ask that question. What does it mean to follow? Because in our world, it's a little inter it's interesting. To follow is a phrase that we use all the time. It's really evolved in the last 10 years or so. Because on social media, which are 3.2 billion people, 3.2 billion people in the world who follow someone on social media. See, when we hear the word that we have a follower, we think of social media. We think of Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter, and Facebook, and TikTok. We think of those things, and it's so easy to follow people on them. There's 3.2 million people, 3.2 billion people, half the world's population basically, follows people on, on, on social media. Do you know who they, they follow? Number three, most followed people on Instagram last month were Ariana Grande, Kylie Jenner, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And it's easy to follow those people. You like their photos. You retweet something they say. You follow them because they're popular. But following Jesus isn't like that. It's not like that. It's much different than that. You know, you know and, I, and I think what happens is this, that we follow Jesus like we follow the rock. We follow Jesus like we follow Justin Bieber. We follow Jesus like we follow that, that sports star, you know? And, and we make it easy, but hey, I kind of like what Jesus said. I like this whole thing that he died for me, but I really don't like what he says on like sexuality or, you know, gender. I don't like those things, but I'm going to follow for the most part. But you say it with your mouth and there's real no commitment. But back in the day when, when Jesus was living, when, when he's talking about people following him, it was a much different word. It was a much different idea. The idea of someone following someone came from this idea that you would have a, a disciple. It's the word disciple. And this is where it comes from. So when you say, when you're referring to follow me, is at this time in Israel, the, in this time of history, there would be rabbis. Some rabbis were really popular, some, some weren't. But then there would be people, there would be rabbis and people would say, hey, I want to follow you. So what, what would they do? They would become their disciple. They, they would eat with them. They would learn from them. They would live life from them. That rabbi would, would disciple them so they would become like them. They would, they would be with them. They would imitate them. They would do life with them. They would become, they would become a disciple. And in the Bible, the word disciple is used over 260 times. The word Christian, or we refer to 
who is just a follower is used three times. Jesus is calling us to be disciples and not just followers. So he's calling us to make a commitment. And remember what a disciple was. They were with you. They lived life with you. They imitate with you. Jesus says this. I'm calling you not to just be a disciple. I'm calling you. I'm not calling you just to be a follower. I'm calling you to be a disciple. I'm calling you to be more than just someone with your your lips, with with your life. So how do we do it? Well, we be with Jesus. Now now we can't walk around with people like Peter and and John and eat breakfast on the beach with him and high-five him. But we can be with him in prayer. We can be with him in church. We can be with him when we're around other believers. We can be with him when we're, you know, reading the Bible. We can be with him through the Holy Spirit. Imitate Jesus. Do what Jesus did. This is exactly what the first disciples did. They ate with them and they talked with them and they learned from them. And, and they were with him. Then they would imitate him. They went out of ministry and taught like he did. Then they would do what he, he did. They, they would forgive people. They would love people. And think about this. When Jesus was on this earth and he was preaching, he was teaching, and there, there would be crowds of people that would gather to hear, just like the Son of the Mount. And when he went into the cities, there would be many people who followed Jesus. Many followed Jesus, but relatively few became disciples. Many followed, but relatively few became disciples. There was this time that, that Jesus had just gotten done in his ministry feeding the 5,000, more likely 10 or 15,000 people, with just a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. And the, the crowds, you know, when you feed people and you give them free things, crowds gather around you. So he's got this big crowd of people with him everywhere he goes. There's many followers. And, and, and eventually he says, hey, listen, it's awesome that, that you like, it's also that you like my teachings, it's also that you like that I do these miracles. But listen, there's more to this. If you're going to be a follower, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you got to know who I am. You got to believe I'm the Savior. You got to be on the Messiah. You got to do what I do, what I called you to do. And after he gave this little speech, this is exactly what happens. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Once Jesus raised the standard, many people left. And I remember the sections that he turned to his disciples and said, hey, why haven't you left? Like, they were committed. And it's, it's the same for us. It's so easy to follow Jesus with our mouth. But are we actually willing to live to the standard he's called us to follow? Are we willing to forgive? Are we will, willing to love? Are we willing to show others they matter? Are we willing to live in prayer with God? Are we willing to make Jesus the foundation of our lives? And we get opportunities every single day to do this. And just this week, we saw this very, very public announcement, this very, very public example. On Monday night, even though my, my bracket was busted and Whitney won in my house, the NCAA tournament bracket, the Baylor Bears won the men's championship. And I didn't know this, but Baylor, I probably should have known this, Baylor is a Methodist school. It's a, it's a Christian school. And, and the coach is a Christian, and a lot of the players are Christians. And after the game, you know, you got to see these guys who are, are publicly celebrating the biggest moment in their lives. Praise Jesus. Look, you can even see in this picture, one of the guys is pointing up. Like, they gave praise to Jesus, and many of them talked about it. But their coach, Coach Drew, also talked about this. In one of the interviews, he said this. 
This team's mission remains the same. To honor God and give Him all the glory in everything they do, regardless of their victories or defeats. And he says, I think the biggest thing is modeling after Jesus. He was a servant leader. And with us, our team, hopefully and prayerfully, we leave with, we leave with humility. It's serving our players and helping them achieve their goals and dreams, not only on the court, but in the life and in the classroom. And then he goes on to say in the interview, he's like, hey, we are here because of the day, because we set a culture, a culture of joy. And I love what he said. He said this to millions of people. We play with a culture of joy. That's Jesus first, others, then yourself. And I just think it's awesome that in 2021, where people say Christianity is dying and the gospel's not winning, we got these men on the stage playing basketball where millions are watching. They choose to praise Jesus. They show the world that they're not just people that say they believe in Jesus, but with their actions and their words. They said, hey, we are disciples of Jesus. And I thought it was an amazing picture. It was amazing to watch. It was pleasing to watch. And I love this. We play with the culture of joy. Jesus, others, then yourself. So here's what I want to do. I want to end real quickly with the qualities necessary to be a disciple. That if we're going to be more than just a follower, we're going to be a disciple. There's qualities that we must have. The first quality is this. It's a quality that we must, a commitment to multiply. He, he told them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. If someone was to ask you, what's the purpose of your life? What would you say? Would you say to make money, to get wealthy, to have kids and grandkids, to buy a lot of things? What would you say? Now, remember that Jesus says the purpose of your life is to have an eternal impact. And what Jesus wants you to do, and what he's causing them to do, is like, hey, listen, I want you to bring those nets with you. But you're not going to fish for, for fish anymore. You're going to start fishing with people. Jesus, they once said that Jesus is like a tornado. That he's going to suck you in and then he's going to spit you back out. He's going to hurl you back out. That Jesus has a plan for you. And he has a purpose for your life. And what he wants you to do is he, he wants you to take your nets and use them to reach people. Your nets represent your talents and your skills and, and, and your money and, and all the things that you have. He says, I want you to take those things. I want you to multiply people. I want you to fish people. I want you to go out in this world. I want you to cast nets. And I want you to bring people to me just like you bring fish up from a boat. Because you are a fisher of men. You're like, man, we don't have all the answers. I'm not a minister. I didn't go to school for this. Neither did Peter. Neither did any of the disciples. But you don't have to have all the answers to multiply. You just have to be willing. You got to be willing to actually follow Him. That's what He's saying. You, you got to be willing. And I, I promise you that if you're willing to do this, if you're willing to step in the Challenge 52, if you're willing to invite people, if you're willing to use your opportunities at work and your families, that you are going to be used by God more than you could ever imagine. So the first is a commitment to multiply. The second one is the hard one. Total surrender. These men were fishermen. They, they'd probably been on their boat since they were little kids. They probably watched their grandpa's fish, their dad's fish, and they learned the tradition. Their livelihood came from fishing. 
Their security and money came from fishing. Their lives revolved around fishing. And Jesus said, drop it all, surrender to me, and follow me. And when he called them to leave their nets, he's calling them to leave the very thing that makes them money. When he called John and James to leave his father, it was a representation to leave your possessions, to leave your family, leave your whole life behind, and follow me. Now think about this. Think about that if that was you. If it was you, he was calling to step out of the boat and follow him. If it was your father that you had to say goodbye to, what if you were the one asked to drop your neck to follow? Would you? Because by, by nature, following means you're not the leader anymore. It means you're not making the decisions. It means whoever you're following is making the decisions. So if you were asked to leave everything for Jesus, would you? Because following him is all about what he wants us to do and what he does through us. What's awesome about Jesus is that he doesn't hide this. Listen, this is what he tells his disciples in Matthew. He's like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, must surrender to themselves, and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. What's he mean by lose it? He means that you're going to give up, so you're going to surrender. You're going to, you're going to give to him your life. It's not your own anymore. But whoever loses the, their life for me will find it. To take up the cross means to totally surrender your life to God. It's all about denying yourself. So are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if that means you never get to climb that career ladder? Are you willing to follow Jesus you never get rich. Now, Jesus may never ask you to lose those things. You may never lose your family. You may never lose your friends. But following Jesus will ultimately cost you something. It always does. And the question becomes, are you willing to follow if it costs you something? And what's been so eye-opening is I got to go through these scriptures this week over and over again that these men, when they were asked to follow, they don't hesitate. They don't say, hey, Jesus, come back another time. I'm not ready. No, they completely surrender and follow. And it's a reoccurring thing over and over and over again. You and I are called to totally surrender. And I think that's where many of us fail. You know, we're religious. We try to do the right things. We go to church, and we pray, and we read our Bible. But we still hold tight to that steering wheel. Or we're still holding on to that control, or we want to be playing with one. We want to make the decisions. We haven't let go. Or in case of, or in the situation of this, we haven't said, Jesus, here's my nets. They're all yours. I want you to pretend that this net right here, and it's not a fishing net that I couldn't find, but I'm not a fisherman, but this net that I'm laying out represents your life and your talents and your skills and everything you have. And what total surrender means is that we lay our nets down and completely in front of God and we say, hey God, here's my nets. Here's my job. Here's my money. Here's my career. Here's everything I have. 
Now, what do you want me to do with it? What do you want this to be filled with? And I promise you, as you're doing this, he will fill your nets with things of eternal value. It won't be money. It won't be dream houses. It's going to be things of eternal value. Love, forgiveness, showing people they matter. It's going to be people that you help bring to Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, here are my nets. They're all yours. What do you want me to do with your life? And I know it's bold to totally surrender. But what would happen today if you left, lay today, you left here, lay your nets in front of Jesus and say, here it is. It's all yours. First people Jesus called to follow him were 12 nobodies. These 12 nobodies were broken or flawed. Jesus invited them to tell a good story. He invited them into something more, just like he's inviting you, and he invites me to. What God did to these 12 men, one of the betrayers of the him of them, was amazing. They changed the world, and we're here today because of who they are and what they did. And Jesus is giving you an opportunity today to change your story, to change your life, to step into him and follow him. The question you have to ask is, are you ready to follow? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you call us into a relationship with you. That you just don't, you're not, you're not just a God, a submissive God that sits on his throne in heaven, but you're a God who loves us and calls us to be with you. Father, so I, I pray today, no matter how long we've been following you, no longer, no, no matter if we've been starting today, that we make this commitment to multiply and a commitment to totally surrender and lay our nets down at your feet so you can lead us in the story you want us to tell. Father, I pray we hand over the control, we hand over the remote, we hand over the steering wheel so you can guide us. We thank you and we trust you because your son Jesus. To his name we pray. Amen. It's been awesome hanging out with you guys today. I would love to see you on campus sometime at one of our services at either Thursday night at 6.30 or Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45. We would also love for you to check out the RSCC Family app where you can find out all you need to know about RSCC and how you can be part of what we are doing here. We would also love for you to give us a follow or a like at RSCC Family on any social media platform. Most of all, never forget this, that you matter because God says you matter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time, or talk to you next time. God bless.